that, that, that issue was brought up again this weekend, uh, this past weekend, uh, of, of dioramas in the home. Because, you know, when you really think about it, right, there's things that exist in other types of buildings than your house, and then there's your house. And, you know, as far as what's inside your house, right, why don't you have a lot more stuff? Now, I know things that take up a huge amount of space, like, like an indoor movie theater. You know, it, it, it's the, pro- the province of the rich and the elite that they can have a house, have an actual movie theater in the house. Because normally, you're going to stretch your finances far beyond the realm of any kind of, any reasonable level, just to get any kind of house, let alone anything that has uh, additional space. Like, you know, I have always wanted to have a pinball arcade in my house. And, you know, I have a basement, but it's not really, it's not really the right, not really quite the right uh, dimensions or... There's really no room for it. Maybe I could find room for one or two, but then that would that would eliminate other other uh, needs. So it's sort of a lack of space, you know. Now why it, now why is this? Because right, we live in a world of uh, you know where the resource of money is limited, and then money sort of dictates everything else. But when it comes to your house, you know, like <clears throat> you look back in the '70s, and I know the things I'm going to talk about are more. You know, they're more of the range of, uh, you know, people that had extra money. But, like, all those stripes on the walls. You know, you look back at those design magazines in the 70s, and it's like a room, and there's stripes that are going from the ceiling to the wall, onto the floor, the curve around. It's like, you know, like, those wall stripes. Now, I know probably the average person didn't have that, but I love the look of those wall stripes. And I know that's something I could do. If I really wanted to, in my house, I could put stripes on the walls. But when you have a house, you know, you're concerned about, oh, what will people think when they come over? Or if I'm going to sell my house, you know, th- is this going to be uh, something that people will look down on? You know, oh, oh, I don't want to buy a house with stripes on the walls. But that's e- easily enough painted over, correct? Um, <clears throat> another feature is uh, conversation pits, right? I think they're also called grooving areas, right? This is also requires a bit of room because it's sort of in the middle of a room there's usually a kind of a little stair that goes down into this circular depression in the floor and you sit around there and you can have conversations it's the coolest thing and uh i never saw anyone who had that in their house but in the you see all these pictures they're mostly from design magazines so these are not are these actual like people's houses or in those old interior design magazines is it actual houses or is it just what is it is it like uh showcases that they make like the furniture companies like create like a fake house in their laboratories and put these things in there stripes you know the stripes on the walls the conversation pits and all sorts of other things sort of the molded plastic furniture right things like that i love that stuff but this is just to say that you know most people like i know myself included it's sort of like um even sort of the uh the fixtures, sort of like, you know, like in a bathroom, the the thing that you put on the wall that can have a bar, so you can put a towel on the bar, like that, all that kind of, kind of stuff. Like you just basically wind up going to like the whatever the de facto home improvement store is and just buy whatever they have. Now their their selection is based on what <clears throat> you know uh, design trends or 
what people want, but you're sort of limiting it because you, yes, you can go completely customized. And you can have a design vision, but then it's going to cost incredibly more money to put your house together trying to do things. And it's already a stretch. Like That's the whole point. Everyone is stretching as far as they can to get the biggest house they can get or the biggest living space they can get, right? And then as, as far as like the specific design of things, that's way over your budget already, you know. But this issue of dioramas in the home, I feel like this is something that does, doesn't seem to even exist for um, the rich or the elite. No one seems to care about it. But I know I've talked about this on the show in the past. Can you imagine how cool it would be? Right? And I'm sure there's people that have it, but I, I'm talking about a big diorama. So the place we see these dioramas is usually in museums, right? It is a section. It's a, a diorama is essentially a small room which has uh, a scene set up with three-dimensional objects. Like, imagine, I, th I think the, pre the premier example of this would be in New York City, the Museum of Natural History, and the dioramas they have of the various taxidermied animals and living in their specific environments with the painted backdrops, the, the, the lighting inside and everything else, which makes it look it's just a really cool thing to look at, right? So the question is, why don't people have dioramas like this in their house? Yes, it takes up a bunch of space, but it, doesn't it wouldn't necessarily have to take up that much space. You know, you, can, you could have one that's maybe only like a, a foot of depth, and then you can use multi-levels of objects and uh, backdrops and lighting, perhaps a hologram here or there, <laughs> maybe not, uh, just to, uh, to make it look better. But I'm just like the idea that everyone... Like it would, it would just be, it would just be a cultural thing, right? You know, oh, you got to go to Timmy's house. His parents have the best diorama. And it'll be something like, you know, like as soon as you walk in the house, there'd be like, here's a diorama of like a forest at night or a city scene, a city street or something. There could be all these companies like diorama services that can, like every year, bring in a new diorama for you, you know you know, set it up for you, and it would just be sort of a prestige thing, and also a cool thing to look at, you know? I can so imagine that that would be a thing, because you could also do it yourself. I mean, it's it's just the idea that there's this display, and it would usually be sort of behind glass. I guess it wouldn't have to be, but if it's in your house, you, well, I, I guess it should be behind glass, just because the things inside are not meant to be messed with by cats or dogs or ferrets or unruly children or teenagers. And then it would become, but it would be, if like in the world where everyone had these dioramas, of course it would be sort of a trope in like the teen comedies of the 80s, like the kids all getting drunk and wasted inside the diorama of someone's house, even though it's supposed to be sac a sacred place, you know. <coughs> Talking about sacred, there's a, slight this is something slightly similar shrines right <coughs> people of various religions set up sort of a shrine in honor of the god du jour whatever god they're worshipping at the time <coughs> and uh, it's usually not really a diorama but it can have some diorama like elements to it 
you could imagine coming up with a religion that, oh, thou shalt have a diorama in thy home, you know. I don't know. I just thought it was, I just think it's a cool thing. Like, every, oh, everyone has one, you know. If you go to Home Depot, oh, die the diorama department, you know. Right? I'm telling you, this could work. But it's not on people's radar. People don't think about it. The other adjunct idea I've talked about on the, on the show in the past is uh, the, the experience room. Sort of a... And I'm sure people have... Maybe a meditation room would be kind of the most similar concept. But just the idea that you had a room where basically you can set up an environment for different kinds of experiences. So in terms of the lighting, the sound, right? Um, just the imagery... And I know we sort of think in a default sense to sort of the psychedelic have like uh, those wall projectors projecting like weird colored lights, lava lamps, and those, whatever those electrical balls were. I think you can still find them at Spencer Gifts. Those pla- balls of electrical plasma, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, projectors, subwoofers, speakers, smoke machines, scent dispensers. But the idea is that you could... Right, if, if you had a dedicated room and it was meant to uh, create a, an experience that you couldn't normally otherwise have, yes, you can sit and watch television, but in this case, it would be something that's all around you with sounds, projections, scents, and right? Doesn't that sound like something that could or should be a thing? I mean, an experience room? I don't know. I think I'm, maybe I'm just sort of looking into a, a, a nearby alternate dimension where it's the same exact world, but people have these more interesting things in their houses. Now, I know that <clears throat> last year when I went to New Mexico, I stayed in the space castle, and there was like a meditation chamber in, in the form of this uh, tube. And I had a kind of a psychic experience in there, made contact with gentle desert spirits in the past or so it seemed <laughs> as I've been pointing out psychic information is uh, well I do think there could be some legitimacy to it in terms of the validity of what exactly you saw right essentially right if if, if we uh, acknowledge the existence of psychicness, that some people have psychic powers, right? That one of the assumed psychic powers would be along the lines of a, like mind reading, but you can actually, right, uh, if you're a stronger psychic than someone else, you could sort of make them think they're perceiving something psychically, even though you're just embedding it in their mind. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> so... I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying, right, it, it lacks what we would consider a traditional uh, checks, right? So uh, in, in the real world, in the physical world that we're operating in right now, certainly very mysterious in its own right, but aspects of it that we perceive, such as I'm standing at my bus stop now, and it was raining earlier, and there's some hedges here, and lots of litter, <laughs> as usual, because people are litter bugs, and they just toss their... Dunkin' Donuts coffee cups all over people's lawns. You know, like I'm perceiving all this. And no, there's no way for me to know if any of it's ultimately true, but it's, right, like 
if I come here tomorrow, like all this stuff will still be here. You know, it's a consistency kind of thing. Whereas like in dreams, things morph and change constantly. Now, again, I understand you could say perhaps reality is not as consistent as we think. It's just like maybe this bus stop was like some sort of weird amusement park yesterday, you know, with weird Ferris wheels and stuff on the corner here. And then today, I, so my memory has been changed as well. Okay, there's, right, so this is not as consistent. I remember this bus stop being here for years and years. Yes, my memory could be faulty. But you know what I'm saying? We experience a kind of double-checking mechanism that is the things that we think about reality, right, they are reinforced through uh, additional uh, observations, right? Again, that's not an ultimate determiner, but it just experientially, it feels consistent. It feels consistent, right? But with the psychic thing, like when I was in the tube with PQ uh, in the space castle, and uh, you can hear all this. This is all recorded, by the way. I I didn't record in the tube, but right afterwards we recorded our impressions. Right? So my perception of... It was a very strong impression of seeing these flat, like, weird spirits or creatures. They were like flat circles with eyes on top. And, uh, a very strong impression, but that, you could say, is just in my imagination. Or, I would think more likely, I'm getting that impression from somewhere. But where that comes from, is there a real... Is, is the tube really breaching into the past and am I really perceiving non-human entities in the distant past or was the tube just sort of designed by someone who had psychic powers that included that completely fictional vision in with the structure the psychic structure of the tube itself you see what I'm saying because then I'm not really going to be able to like oh let me go back into the past again and kind of double check like it's there's not as much of a, a double checking mechanism and, uh, you know, especially since that, when it comes to psychic stuff, it's, it's usually in individual, inside your head, right? Um, whereas in reality, it's kind of a shared thing where everyone can sort of see, yes, this is a bus stop, and, you know, here's my bus. Talking about bus stops, here's the bus. Here we go. Let's go to New York City, shall we? And we'll talk more about dioramas in the home. We have arrived here in the Port Authority bus terminal. It's a very foggy ride. A lot of fog out there. We came around that the loop going into the tunnel. It was like a raised roadway that goes in kind of a circle to loop you down into the tunnel. Could hardly see the skyline at all because of what do they say the fog is as thick as pea soup. Yeah. But now it's gonna be warm today. It's gonna be like in the mid-50s in the afternoon. <laughs> Crazy weather. But yeah, anyway, the uh, the idea of these dioramas. You know, I don't think it would be... I mean, I think the main thing is it would take up space. 
And yes, you know, if it was all custom made, it could be somewhat expensive. But if everyone was expected that you had one in your house, that it would, right? I'm sure there, the economies of scale, you could have dioramas that wouldn't be prohibitively expensive, right? But I don't know. I mean, people have, I, I know like man caves, for example, have some some things like that maybe like neon signs but that's not really the same thing i'm talking about a diorama damn it here we are new york city what's going on with this bus like this tour bus is like jerking forward bit by bit. What's going on? There's the tour guide at the top of the bus. Big bus tours. Tour in New York City. So anyway, as I mentioned a few episodes back, I entered the fish ticket lottery. A fish is going to be on tour this summer. And uh, one of their uh, extended runs is going to be seven nights at Madison Square Garden, which is very close to where I live. It's the closest big venue. Seven nights. So I've never done it, but I think I might want to go to all seven nights to see fish every night. That would be some life experience, no? So as I talked about, they're going to be there for seven nights. Not seven nights in a row. I think it's over the course of nine days or ten days. There's a few days off here and there. Um, Fish, of course, is a band, P-H-I-S-H, that a lot of people I've talked to never heard of them. Or if they had heard of them, they certainly are unlikely to have heard even a single song of theirs. Yet they're able to sell out Madison Square Garden. For seven nights. I mean, they did 13 nights a couple years ago. I went to one of those 13 nights. Was that 2018, maybe? Maybe-ish? 2018-ish? Um, it's just a strange... It's a very strange situation because it's... Uh, it's a uh, huge fan base, but no general cultural immersion, right? So... Anyway... Uh, so, another thing is the ticket prices. In this case, I think this is the lowest you're going to get these prices for. So, it's under $100 a day for seven days for this level of tickets. So, I was waiting all day, and there's all these Reddit threads about it. They're like, yeah, you know, if you did, if you did a multi-day thing and you didn't, get your, you didn't get your response yet, chances are you aren't going to get it. So they said yesterday, which is March 1st, by midnight they would uh, send out all the rejection letters. And I'm like, I kept holding out hope. I'm like, maybe I, I still got my tickets. But yeah, around 6 p.m. yesterday, I got my, it was maybe 6.15, I got my email. Sorry, Mr. Nora, you, you, you did not get your fish tickets. You lost the lottery. So very sad. So now... Uh, tomorrow, Friday, there's a, the general sale starts. So that's the kind of thing where you have to go and log into Ticketmaster 
And then at the second the tickets go on sale, you gotta click, 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 trying to get in. I don't know. I don't know if those are gonna be the same price. But now they're gonna be more, because then if I fail in that regard, of course, the next level is the buy the tickets on the secondary market, which is that's what half the people are buying tickets are gonna do anyway. They're just buying them to flip them. So it's just a whole thing. Anyway. I lost. I lost the lottery. I mean, why do we even need tickets anyway? What's the whole concept of tickets? Like, if you really step back and examine it, like, what's a ticket? Well, it used to be a piece of paper or cardboard. And now it's all virtualized. It's not even a PDF anymore. It's a... It's a, it's a, a sort of a, an object associated with your account, right? As, uh, you know, for a while there was, like, they would send you a, your ticket as a PDF that you're supposed to print out that had a QR code on it. But I haven't researched it completely, but you have to imagine people then selling you, they're selling you the ticket, oh, I'll email you the PDF, those amongst them that are unscrupulous could could sell the same ticket like 20 times and mail the same PDF to all the people. I'm sure that's happened. And then the then you go there and the first person that has a ticket maybe gets in. Everyone else, oh, your ticket was already scanned. So I don't know if it was in response to that that they changed the system, at least as far as I can tell, you, that it has to be an app on your phone. And if you don't have a phone, I'm not sure how you do it. I'm sure there might be will call for people without phones, but, you know, the people without phones are... There's not too many of them anymore. It's like a basic necessity of life. When 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 will this phase pass and we won't need phones anymore? I think, I think the phase will pass. Um... To the point where an object we think of as a, as a phone or a tablet or a computer or a TV, right? Right now, you have a phone and it's, a, it's attached to you. Your phone number, your stuff is on there, your apps are on there. But I think that at some point, the system can change so that Yes, you might still have an object that looks like a phone, but anyone could use it as their phone, right? It's all compl- like it's there's a system that kind of knows where you are and what you're doing, and any input-output device can then be used as as your entire like digital life will be in the cloud, something like that. But for now, the phones are very important. So yeah, that it's an app, and it uses cryptography to. Uh, generate a, a new unique code every like 30 seconds and because of the nature of I'm assuming it's related to kiosko cryptography right only your phone that has that seed in it can produce those codes that then match up to the database on the home server I'm thinking 
No, the only thing is P2, I don't think he did work tonight, so we can see it. What? These random street conversations? P P2 can't work tonight? Was that, like a droid? It's P2, the droid. Anyway. Yeah, but they, they just make it all so easy to buy and sell the tickets. Like, you, don't, you transfer the ticket just by e- You can just email it to someone. And then from that email, they then can accept the ticket and now it's in their app. You see what I'm saying? But why do we need tickets anyway? Is it because it's generally there's there's gonna be a place where there's say a performance gonna be happening. It doesn't have to always be a performance, but and either more people want to go than the place can fit or You want to make sure everyone that, that, that walks in is actually paying a certain fee to go in. So this all has to do with scarcity, right? It's like uh, two kinds of scarcity. Kind of like what I'm talking about with the dioramas. Like uh, a, 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 a performance that there's demand for beyond which like more people want to go to see for example a band play music than there's space available so then you need to limit who can go in because otherwise the place would just be overcrowded everything would get destroyed you know be a big mob scene but if that's really the case like you know in an ideal sense like, wouldn't you, you, shouldn't you be able to sort of, like, figure out why not, if you're a band, like, play as many nights as it takes to satisfy all the people that are in the area, you know, within, within reason, right? I don't know. I guess because the, the performance spaces themselves are limited and other bands will be, be playing the next night. And it's all, it's all about these limitations and scarcity, Right? that a, a mus- musical band or physical human beings that can only be perform their music in one place at one time and because of practical reasons in terms of being physically there there's a certain maximum size of a venue you can't like build a stadium that's like two miles across well you could if you really wanted to I suppose but the people on the far end would need like actual like high powered telescopes to even see what's going on on the stage this is, of course, live music, not virtual music, which can be distributed in a much larger sense. Like uh, when I watch the fish shows from home on streaming, that, that infrastructure could accommodate vastly more numbers of people. Look at this. The uh, Winter Village is still up here in Bryant Park. People are ice skating. There's still a few stores, mostly food stores. But then, of course, the scarcity of money, right? This is sort of a somewhat artificial scarcity. But it, it assumes that there's not enough of X to go around, right? 
whatever X is so that since you personally only have a limited amount of money, you have to choose what to spend your money on, which naturally, you know, like if if there's only like 1,500 of something and then like 8,000 people want them, you know, only the people that choose to spend their their money on it will get it. I know, I know, I'm not making. I know, I'm not making this. This point is 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 a bit rough, but uh, you see what I'm saying. But can you imagine a world without tickets, right? Where if you want to go see something, you know, I mean, I you know, we, I always talk about how money itself really is. You know, we you can envision a world without money. It'd be a very different kind of world. But in that sense, I think everyone would, you know, like you would express, oh, I'd like to go see this band. And uh, either, the, either the band can increase the number of performances to satisfy uh, everyone that wants to go see it. Or they would do some sort of lottery system, as they're already doing. All right, it's time to go to the Amazon Go store and I get my usual sushi breakfast. I'm in the elevator. Lunchtime. It's a good sushi breakfast. Expensive, but good. I wish they had those um, rice balls. Uh, the umeshiso onigiri. Pickled plum rice balls. I, I, there's some places around here you can get them, but it'd be easier if you just get them very easily. Yeah. So I was thinking about the uh, the idea of dioramas in the home, right? Is it could be one example of something that we could make happen with uh, the next phase of technology, which is AI and robots. Some of these ideas that people have, like there's just been this resource crunch, whether real or imagined or false scarcity. However you want to look at it, there has been a scarcity, and most people are having enough trouble making ends meet to try to build dioramas in their house. But the dynamics and theory will change uh, as the technology increases, and so you can... Um, achieve things like that, right? Home dioramas can become a thing because robots will do all the work. The AI will do the work, but then you'll have it in your house, right? But you could use <coughs> the what we think of as our current lifestyle as the baseline, as the starting point, and then add cool things, add interesting additions to our life our lives that had never been there before rather than trying to say oh we've got to change everything from the ground up you see what I'm saying so I think it'd be cool every when you go to over to someone's house they have like dioramas because robots did it no <laughs> wow this place City Cafe is still here wow yeah I think I'm going to go up to uh, those food halls I want to give Urban Hawker another chance the Singaporean style food hall up, up on like 49th or something or 50th I'm going to try to do the mid block crossings uh, like on 48th 
there's that tunnel with that waterfall over it. And it's like you, you're, you can go through mid-block, right, between uh, 6th and 7th, basically. Then there's another mid-block crossing. And then then you can go into, Ur- into Urban Hawker and uh, go through there. So you can sort of cheat your way through to these different streets rather than going on the avenues. See what I'm saying? I think so. Yeah, on uh, Saturday, we, we came in to go to a museum, a museum uh, called, uh, uh, it's an exhibit, it's sort of a traveling exhibit called Small is Beautiful, and uh, went in with my wife, Denise, and our neighbors, Brad and Sue, and uh, this isn't, this is on uh, Broadway, right, like right across from NYU, so, you know, bet- around, uh, LaGuardia Place, that kind of side street, right? Sort of between 4th and 8th streets. Because all the, right, between 4th and 8th streets, those other streets are kind of not, there's like, there's like no 5th, 6th, 7th, or 7th, 5th, 5, 6, 7, there's really, they, those streets don't really exist. Around there, at least. And I remember going to this space. Do you remember there was a recording I did? It was like, uh, I think it was a central recording, and I had just uh, gone to, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I had just gone to Governor's Island to do the composting uh, volunteer thing. This was a, n- a number of years ago. And then on the way back, I was walking up from, essentially from like South Ferry, up to South Street Seaport, and then up Broadway. And I was recording, but then I kept... I kept doing this weird thing where I kept, like, I ended the show, but then I kept wanting to record more, so I inserted it in the middle. So it was almost like this weird memento, like, reverse time stream thing. Was that when I went over there to that? It, I forget what it was called, but it was it was sort of an exhibit like that. I remember going to the gift shop, but I couldn't even figure out what, what it was supposed to be. I don't remember the name, but if I looked up that episode... And remember, it was like when I... That was the incident where there was this, uh, I can't even remember now. Remember there was that show on Netflix called The OA, and the woman who made it, her name was Brit something, and and then I saw someone's name, because when you do your volunteer work in the composting station, you see the names of the other people that are going to be going there. I just went with a few folks from my work. Then you saw the other names, and one of them was Brit. I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's uh, the woman who plays whatever on uh, the OA. And uh, and then we saw a woman who did look just like her. I, f- I forget her last name. And then I wound up working with her, like sorting out garbage. Like literally, they would pour garbage on this metal table including like rotten food with maggots and stuff and you had to sort of sort it out so I was actually talking to her and it it turned out she was not but she looked very much like her so it was like a a weird definitely a very weird like (laughs) freak out like a reality freak out kind of thing and uh, yeah I remember I went to that so now the same space they have this small is beautiful exhibition so I guess like if you have an art exhibit 
right? Would you usually have to deal with a museum? And those kind of museum people seem like they could be real. Like, imagine if I called out, oh, I have an exhibit. Can you put it in your, your museum? I, I mean, I don't even know how that works. I imagine some of them would be real hard to work with. But you can just rent out your own space and have your own exhibit without it worrying about the museums. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, so this apparently was in England. So this is uh, artwork that's focused on sort of miniatures, like miniature objects and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, we, we went over there and uh, we got there a little bit early. So, so, so uh, we were looking for a place to get a drink before we went to the exhibit. So I we went down a few blocks on Broadway to a place called Great Jones Distilling. Right? Now, I, I, I don't believe it was on Great Jones Street. I think Great Jones is a few blocks further down. In fact, uh, on Great Jones was that place called the Acme Underground where the band I was involved with, Fuzzy Daubner, used to play. I released uh, their second to last show that was at Acme Underground, and it says 9 Great Jones Street. But this place is called Great Jones Distilling. I'd never been there before. So it's like they make their own uh, whiskey. There's like a whiskey, a rye, and there's like a three-grain one or something. And so you have like a gift shop there. It's like a whole place. It's like the headquarters of a, of a distillery. Um, so we went upstairs to the bar, and uh, Brad got the Applewood smoked old-fashioned, and I I, f- I figured I would just get that. Normally, I like to get whiskey neat, but I uh, tried that. So they had the, these wooden, like, circular wooden covers they would put on top of the glass. And then they would put some, like, little wood chips in there, like, of applewood wood chips. Then they had, they had those little handheld, like, blowtorch kind of things. And they would, like, light the uh, the applewood on fire so the smoke goes down into the into the cup. So it's like uh, you have like this layer of smoke over your your drink, and it smelled really good in there because there's all this like all this uh, applewood smoke everywhere. It was kind of cool. The drink itself was okay. I mean, I don't know how good these whiskeys are. Um, it has a really nice packaging, really nice graphic design. But sometimes with liquors, you know, the the better the bottle, the worse the spirit. You know, sometimes they spend all their money on the. Just making a making an attractive bottle. That's not always the case, but sometimes it is. We're walking up Sixth Avenue here. It's Radio City in the distance. So yeah, we had the drink, and then we uh, went up to Smallest Beautiful, and it was a really good exhibit. Um, you go in, and there's a lot, a lot of like photographs of miniature artworks, all different kinds of miniature artwork, every every kind, um, from super miniature, like they had these pieces of art that you had to look look at through a microscope. Uh, little, like a lot of the ones were like cool buildings that were like like model buildings and the different little scenes and stuff. And yeah, it was a, it was a lot of very cool stuff. Then you go down to the basement. And there's more exhibits down there. Like one really cool one was like all these like giant fish with cities on top of them and made out of cardboard. And it's like very cool. Then there was the bathroom and uh, there's a line to use the restroom. 
and one of it was just, there were just two individual restrooms and one of them everyone kind of kept saying this, the lights don't work in here the lights don't work so I, I imagine that at, at one point in history people don't have personal flashlights on them at all times and uh, people would have found it challenging to go to the bathroom in the dark but of course now those aforementioned cell phones smartphones Every one of them has a flashlight function that's easily accessible. In fact, that's the flashlight everyone uses. Now that everyone has this multi, multi-farious device in their pocket, so they told me, oh, the light doesn't work. I'm like, I got my phone ready. I got my flashlight on. And then when I, when I went out, I said, hey, there's no, he's like, I got my flashlight. Everyone's got their flashlight ready on their phone. Yeah, definitely, definitely a great exhibit. And of course, we went through the gift shop. We have to exit through the gift shop. All these miniature items. All right, I want to go over here. I noticed. I noticed when I was looking on Google Maps that there's a Hard Rock Hotel over here. I never heard about that. I <laughs> like the comment from the peanut gallery just ended. You hear it? I said, "Let's go to the Hard Rock Cafe." He's like, "That doesn't make sense." No, it doesn't make sense. Random man. Oh, look, the Fox News headquarters over here. Man dies after contracting a rare brain-eating infection from rinsing sinuses with tap water. Uh-oh. <laughs> Whoever knew it was out... Like, tap water can kill you? <laughs> What's next? Resounding rejection. U.S. Intel community report finds... Sorry, the words are coming out very slowly. No credible evidence of foreign adversary behind Havana syndrome. What? Very vague, very vague news, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we're going over here. We're going to see this Hard Rock uh, Hotel. And hopefully the proper walkway through the block. Oh, I know this road. Yeah, this is uh, oh, this is 48th. I used to walk down 48th sometimes. Yeah, this is this is the block where all the music stores used to be. Sam Ash and everything, right? Yeah. They all moved away. The rents got too high or something. But there's this Jones Theater, see? Just like I was talking about Great Jones, this is the Jones Theater. Oh, it's a court theater. Wait. But it's the Jones Building. I'm getting confused now. <laughs> what does the Jones refer to? Uh, let's see. Oh, this is Chipotle here. Is it a different theater or something, or just the Jones Building? Or listen, I don't know. But they have a, a video poster for the theater on the Jones Building. But it's not Jones anymore. Or maybe it's... It's an ad for a novel, not... I'm getting completely confused now. Alright, here is the... Yes, here is the walkway with the, the glass tunnel. Yes. But let us check out the Hard Rock 
I'm assuming it's a Hard Rock Hotel, right? They, they, they have the Hard Rock Rock Shop. Let's see what's in here. I don't know. Let's check it out. Reel out in. Let me just go in the, the gift shop here. Thank you. Wow, look at that. Hard rock stuff. There's a big light. Okay, thank you. Big lighted staircase. I wonder what this was before it was hard rock. Cool. Just checking out what they have here. Not much of interest. All right, thank you. Let's see, there should be a name for that. The thing you say to like some, like you go to a store and it's awkward because the shopkeeper's there and, and you just you're like the only other people there. You're the only other person there, and when they, and you don't buy anything, you leave. Okay, thank you. <laughs> just to sort of, so it's not so weird, you know. Like I'm just wandering around your store and I didn't buy anything. Thank you. That means thank you, for th th thank you for letting me come inside your store. I didn't buy anything, obviously. Not to say your store sucks, but hey, yeah, yeah, your store kind of sucks. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. The waterfall's not on at the moment, but yeah, that store was weak. I don't know. Like the whole Hard Rock thing—is that even still like a relevant brand? What does that even mean? Like rock and roll, or I don't know. <laughs> the cool uh, giant statues of. Anunnaki-sized humanoid rabbit and dog photographers here. Go and look it up. It's a piece of art called Paparazzi Dog Man and Paparazzi Rabbit Girl by Gilly and Mark. Pretty cool statues. Could dig it. So then, uh, after the exhibit, we... Uh, Decided to stop at another bar. It was almost like a little mini pub crawl kind of thing. A place called Arts and Crafts on Eighth Street. Um, sort of, sort of a basement bar. We went there because I know my neighbors like to do pub crawls, and so they know a lot of these places from their various pub crawls. Go and have a drink in all these different places. All right, here we go. Cross over here. And over so Urban Hawker should be up here, right? But is it is it the same company, Urban Hawker and Urban Space? Is it? Sounds like they're probably the same company, right? Because Urban Hawker is, is a, a Singapore theme, Singapore street food. Yeah, there it is, Urban Hawker, right next to Men's Warehouse. Urban Hawker doesn't have much vegan stuff. I may be able to find something, but then I have the other backup plan of the other food court another block up, the urban space. Anyway, then we went to uh, have dinner at Ha Ha Ha, the vegan Mexican place uh, at their Carmine Street location. That was great. I had uh, some good... Uh, Mezcal, I think it was the Rey Campero 
tepextate, really good. I just have that neat, you know, no ice in it or anything, just straight from the bottle. Neat. That's how I like my mezcal. It was a really good dinner. I had I had some tacos. We had a lot of chips, and they have a really good uh, like a charcoal salsa kind of deal, and also a vegan queso, which is a cheese cheese sauce kind of thing. Cheese dip. All right, here we are. Here's Urban Hawker. I know last time I was here, I kind of couldn't find anything, but I want to try harder this time. We have, I mean, every every storefront here in this food court is kind of, or the food hall is all kind of dreamlike. Like we have Kappa Fellas, a- Ashes, Burnett, Hanan Jones, another Jones. The Pawnaholic Collections, Lady Wong. It's all very dreamlike. Listen, I gotta realize Singapore's not a very vegetarian place or a vegan place. I understand. I'm sorry. Listen, they can do what they want. I can do what I want. How about Pawnaholic? Yeah, that's mostly seafood oriented. Dim Sum Darling. See, they have a... They have a, a veggie, but it has chicken broth. Why does it say vegan? Vegan. It says vegan, but it says it contains chicken broth. Why? Uh... Trying to figure this out. It, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if I should ask them about this because why do they say it's vegan but it contains chicken broth? What the heck? This is what I'm dealing with here, okay? This is what I'm dealing with. Jakarta Munch. Very, very uh, confusing. Very confusing. All right, I don't want to talk to them unless I can't find anything else because that's really annoying. That it's vegan with chicken broth that contains shellfish. Listen, it's fine. Just don't use the word vegan if it contains shellfish and chicken broth. Uh, wait, vegan pan shit. Panchit Bihon vegan rice noodles with shiitake mushrooms. Uh, hmm. It's kind of like it's just yeah. It says vegan, but uh, I don't know. I think they're using all the same woks for everything. Singapore fried rice. You know, it looks like a good place for people that can eat such things. But all right, let's see. Mamox Corner. Hmm. No, this doesn't look like it's going to have anything. Vegetarian, that doesn't help me. I'm telling you, this is like, this is rough. It's a rough scene. What, they have a, they have a basement area? I don't know, I like the idea of a depressing basement seating area, though. 
That really, that just turned me off. Uh, yum Yubu. Let me just go look at the depressing seating area down here. See, see how it looks. I don't even know what's down here. We're gonna investigate. Oh, maybe it's just yeah, yeah. It's just like employees only kind of stuff. Yeah, there's no seating area down here. Oh, the restrooms are down here. Not okay. All right. All right. Let, let me let me continue to struggle with this this situation here. All right. I really tried. I really tried with that place. Okay. I even went to the place that had the vegan bowl. Uh, you know, I said it has vegan bowl, noodle bowl of egg noodles, chicken broth, shellfish. I'm like, uh, yeah, so what's up with that? Egg noodles, is that vegan? They're like, no, the egg noodles don't have any eggs in them. Okay, let's take a step back here, shall we? It says vegan, 100% vegan. Why, don't you, why are you using the word egg? I, like, it's, it's, a, it's an egg noodle without eggs. Why don't you just call them noodles? Then I'm like, well, what about this, uh, you know, what about this... Uh, you know, the, the chicken broth that has shellfish in it. Like, what's up with that? They're like, yes, yes, the chicken broth does have shellfish in it. But you don't have to get that with the 100% vegan meal. I'm like, oh, really? They're like, yeah. Even though it's listed as the sauce, you can use a vegan sauce on the vegan dish as well, if you wish. I'm like, thank you. Bye-bye. I'm like, wait, what? Um, yeah, it's a bit much, you know. Anyway, so I'm here at Urban Space, and I got the vegan ramen from Tomotomo, which is uh, hopefully, hopefully, I asked, I asked the person there, is it vegan? They're like, what? What's that? <laughs> Why does it continue to be such a pain in the neck? I know, I'm going against the grain of, of the meat-eating public, I know. But anyway, I'm going to have my, my ramen here. This is a rather depressing seating area. I love it. And, you know, listen, I tried. I, I really tried with this urban hawker. It just didn't work out. All right, that was a good lunch. Anyway, uh, this morning, I, uh, I got Kang and Marble Snap. Now, Marvel Snap is a, uh, a game on the phone and on the computer with the Marvel superheroes characters, kind of combining, you know, the comics and the TV shows and the, uh, the movies and stuff. <clears throat> and it's a really great game. It's a collectible card game, um, really well done. It's by this guy, Ben Brode, who used to run the Hearthstone team. Anyway... I've been playing for a while now, so I have all the cards that are easily accessible. But then they have, like, Pool 4 and Pool 5 cards, which, um, you know, like the Pool 3 cards, you might get a couple of them a week if you're, if you're playing normally. Pool 4, you'll be lucky to get one every month or two months. Pool 5, you might not get one for years, right, the way the percentages work. But they have a thing called the Token Shop. And as you play, you slowly build up these tokens. <coughs> and um, so, 
The pool three cards are a thousand. I have all those. Pool four cards are three thousand, and then pool five cards are six thousand. You're following all this? Listen, you can't just play games anymore. You have to understand all this like complex systems of eight different kinds of currencies, this and that. Listen, this is just the way the gaming industry is now. Anyway, so additionally, cards that are on level five will eventually go down to level four, and the level four cards will eventually go down to level three, right? But certain cards, they said, will never go down, including Thanos, Galactus, and Kang. <coughs> you know, Kang the Conqueror. <coughs> so it feels like a safe purchase because it'll never go onto the next tier. Um, I've been saving up my tokens. I've been really, tr- I had about 8,000 8, tokens. I've been really trying to like not have any impulse purchases, wait till something I really wanted. So Kang came out, and this is a very cool card. Now Kang is Kang the Conqueror. is a, t- a time travel supervillain that recently has shown up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, first in the, Lo- the Loki miniseries, you know, with the, the time agency, which it turned out he was behind. But not, there's all these different versions of Kang. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like Rick from Rick and Morty. There's like the Council of Ricks. There's the Clap Council of Kangs and all different versions of him in all different realities. But anyway, this card, it's uh, for, for five, cost five, zero power but when you play the card right the entire turn plays out and then that entire turn never happened you go back to the beginning of the turn right and you saw you see everything your opponent did right including the random number generation there's a lot of cards like for example jubilee pulls a random card from the deck so if you see jubilee pull like magneto or something then you go back in time and play the turn again. If your opponent plays Jubilee, then Jubilee will pull Magneto, right? It's just, the RNG is is the same. Other than that, everything else is reset. Um, so I just had a really good game where, <coughs> you know, I played uh, Kang the last turn, and I saw my opponent play Leader. Leader <coughs> copies all the cards your opponents played that turn, right? So I was winning on two lanes, but uh, leader uh, would have, uh, you know, pulled one of my big my big cards, maybe my Thanos or my She-Hulk or whatever, and th- and I would have lost. So I saw they played leader. Then we went back in time. And there's all these this cool cosmic clock like graphic you see, um, and so I'm like I'm not gonna play anything. But then I'm like, are they still gonna play leader? It's one of these things where you got to try to figure out what they're gonna do. So I played nothing because, right, that's the best way to counter leader is not to play anything because leader doesn't really have any power on its own. So they did play leader again, and I wound up winning. So it was really, that was a really cool win. I mean, I think that they should, if they had something else to win one of the lanes, they should have predicted I was going to play nothing because I saw their leader. Then they could have played something in one of the lanes. But you never know. It's, it's like this second, this, this guessing game. Educated guesses, but... <coughs> So, anyway, I spent a lot of my tokens, and I, only, I have like 3,000, 2 or 3,000 left. <coughs> I'll get them back eventually, but I like Kang. It's time travel in the card game. What's this music? This music is bringing me down. What is this music? 
let's, let's use the Shazam to see what song this is. Doesn't it, it can't find this song? This is a non-existent song. Nope, it's "Let It Flow" by Jesse T. Teich. Okay. <coughs> Great. Okay. Back outside now. <clears throat> 52nd Street, that's pretty far up. Anyway, so yeah, then on uh, Sunday, we had the exit ramp. Yes. What was, what was my title for it? Um, was it the exit ramp 42, maybe? It was, uh, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. The exit ramp was called Arcade Reality, and it was kind of, <coughs> kind of, uh, you know, the, the term just sort of refers to how, like, the news and the world itself is getting to seem more, more and more fake all the time with all of the, recently with all the UFO stories, all the train derailments, toxic of toxic clouds you know all the AI stuff and it really has uh, the world really feels like we're living in a video game <laughs> and of course the title came comes from uh, right the, uh, an incident from my college days in the 80s I was driving with someone through Roseland New Jersey kind of an obscure town, Roseland. And there was a place called Arcadia Realty. But as I was so obsessed with interdimensional travel at the time, I'm like, look, Arcadia Reality. They're like, no, Frank. Or are they, that was probably when I was known as Fenn. They're like, no, Fenn, that's Arcadia Realty, not reality. Because, uh, you know, I, I would use the term like reality travel as interdimensional travel. And uh, really very into that cult concept. And, uh, you know, Arcadia, you know, it sounds like an arcade, like a video game arcade, but also the Duran Duran offshoot band, Arcadia, right? Simon Laban, John Taylor, and uh, Roger Taylor, I believe. And wait, who were the ones that went over to, uh, to the Robert Palmer side? Maybe that was John Taylor. I think that was Andy Taylor. Anyway, the band kind of split up and did side projects. They did... Uh, Power Station with Robert Palmer, and then they did Arcadia just with themselves. And I love that Arcadia album, right? You know, the song Election Day and stuff. And uh, there's a video, I actually play the audio of it on the other side from time to time about how the name Arcadia came about, <coughs> right? There's there's a painting some called Something Something Farmers, and it these farmers are standing at this... Uh, this tomb and it says et in Arcadia ego I guess that's Latin it means even in Arcadia here I am so the idea is that Arcadia was 
another word for utopia, right? It was it was sort of this like rural rustic area of Greece that people sort of that lived in the city sort of thought about how great it would be to live in Arcadia and live live a simple farming life, right? But again, it was sort of another term for paradise or utopia, Arcadia. But this painting sort of says death, right? Even in paradise, here I am. There's death even in this paradise of Arcadia. So I guess they talked, you know, the Duran Duran guys talked about how they thought that was a really cool idea, so they called their band Arcadia. So when I saw Arcadia Realty, I was like, Arcadia Reality. <coughs> and then, like a year or two ago, I drove past that area and it was still there. Or I saw it on Google Maps. Arcadia Realty still exists. I should use them the next time I need to buy a property, which probably won't be for a while since I, I bought my house just a few years ago. Arcadia Reality. Realty. Well, doesn't Realty and Reality kind of... They must be from the same... Like, listen, this land you're going to buy, this house is real, man. It's really, really real. It's realty. Very, very real. Very real indeed. Anyway, that's sort of the background of it. Um, So, yeah, it was a great turnout. Uh, Anne from college came on for the first time ever. I want to thank Anne for coming on the show. Right? She is someone that uh, went to Drew University in the 80s, just like me. And... uh, so she's sort of, it's just so, it's just so weird. Like the people I, I work with that are like 25, like what's in their head and what's in my head is so different. You know, like the world I live in, right? My sensibilities and everything about me, you know, like my having lived through the seventies and eighties and nineties and all that stuff is really a huge influence on me. But they're people, they're just younger, but they just don't have, it's not just, it's, it's that the the world itself has changed so much since then. And I know people look at the 80s, oh wow, people have mohawks and they're using Rubik's cubes and listening to Devo. It's like, well, yes, that all did happen, but there's a thing, there's a complex web of concepts and ideas and implications that anyone that lived through the 80s has in their head. And if you didn't, then you don't have it in your head. So it's just, it's just wild. You know, there's people that are sort of, you know, like I mentioned the Tolly Brown Lounge and she knew, you know, she knew it. She knew it very well. She used to go there a lot. Most everyone else, if I mentioned the Tolly Brown Lounge, you're be like, well, Tolly Brown, what does that, what does that even Tolly Brown Lounge? I don't know. What the heck is that? It just, it evokes this incredible, again, a sort of a complex series of ideas and images for me. And for her, but if you weren't there, you don't get that. So, and I know that that points out a larger picture, which is that any, any words we're saying here on these shows, and uh, <coughs> Maverick eighty eight brought it up on his show, um, <coughs> Post Island Monologics recently. The idea, the idea that um, how far do you have to go explaining things, especially if there's people listening in the far future that may not know what the heck you're talking about. So. I, I don't know. I try to keep a balance of it. I'm always somewhat imagining the audience and what they may and may not know. <laughs> but it's... I guess in a way I'm sort of imagining a current day audience. Because I'm, I'm assuming, I'm thinking that those listening in the farther future have additional tools. 
at their disposal. You see what I'm saying? Additional tools to understand what's being said, right? Cognition enhancers or pop-up video like bubbles popping up in front of their field of vision or something, right? But anyway, and uh, Joe Gibson from the Chicago area was on, and he talked about how he was, uh, he's a fan of Weird Paul, Weird Paul Petrosky. I'm like, wait, Weird Paul Petrosky? It's like, yeah, I watch him twice, I watch, like, he does these transmissions twice a week. I'm like, what? Hold on a second, what is this? Bread's Bakery? Um, I'm like, we know that guy. Because with the band Fuzzy Doppner, uh, you know, I, well, first of all, I got a copy of his CD called uh, Low Fidelity, High Anxiety in the cutout bin at uh, that CD World place down by West 3rd Street, I think, by 6th Avenue. Actually, pretty close to where, uh, I mean, it's not there anymore, but it was pretty close to where Ha 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 is. Anyway, I got it and I started listening to it. I just, it, it had a cool cover and I became a fan. And there's a song in there called Feeding Squirrels Fire where it's not Paul singing, but this woman singing. And she goes like, Small creatures stuck in the big city. What a sad story. What a big pity. Something, something. See that Teens are feeding squirrels fire. It made me sad, made me perspire. Held a gun up to their temples, smiling, showing my dimples, and said, Never feed squirrels fire again. So. <clears throat> Eventually, the band did a cover version, and uh, Weird Paul, or someone else, I'm assuming it was Weird Paul, put it on a compilation CD uh, uh, on Bandcamp, I think it's on, a, tr- uh, a tribute to Weird Paul, right? I think we did communicate with him back and forth a few times. Now, he actually has been very active. There, there, there was a whole documentary about him, a, a Kickstarter or something, I don't I had to look it up if I did I give money to the Kickstarter or did I just follow it? But I think it was called Will Will Work for Views or something. Because he was a vlogger, like he he was doing tons of video stuff back in the day. And so now now I, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing, but he just goes on camera live and he's I think he uses an old VHS camcorder for the uh, you know for the video. That's kind of a cool idea. If I still, I think I got rid of all my VHS stuff. Yeah, but that would be kind of cool. Using an actual old video camera to go on the digital world. So I, I, I asked Joe, "Hey, can you, can you ask Weird Paul if he remembers Fuzzy Doppner?" So apparently, you know, in the chat room there on Twitch, he's he does it on Twitch. Weird Paul. Apparently, Joe Gibson asked him, "Do you remember Fuzzy Doppner?" And Weird Paul was like, "Of course, of course, I remember Fuzzy Doppner." I could, I didn't, I don't, I don't have a timestamp. It was like a multi-hour presentation but it's kind of cool that Weird Paul such a big celebrity like Weird Paul remembers Fuzzy Doppner the band say Fuzzy Doppner has some has some uh, further existence 
of course, we have a bunch of great songs we wrote, and you could still hear here on the Overnight Escape Underground, and probably not much other places because it's fallen into utter oblivion elsewhere. But here, Fuzzy Doppner is very much present in the archive. You know all the great songs. The 32 regular ones and then the fringe songs, the backward songs, the unproduced songs, etc., etc. Yes. And we had Jefferson from Philadelphia. Jefferson uh, was at the King of Prussia Mall. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going there next week. Yeah, because uh, this coming Saturday I'm going to finally, hopefully it'll happen this time, the Three Weasels Adventure with me and Peter and Brian. And we probably, I'm, I'm like, we'll probably be there next week at the King of Prussia Mall down there in Pennsylvania. And then he went to this, uh, like, Japanese food market in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, which is also not too far from there. I'm like, okay, we'll probably go there next week as well. I'm like, what are you doing next week? <laughs> Maybe we'll, uh, at least I'll try to contact Jefferson and see if he's around. Jefferson was on a video on that, um, from 2008, the uh, in ramble, the complete in ramble, because I he was there at the uh, pod camp. I told him about the new pod camp that's coming up. I don't know that I'm going or, or not. And uh, we wound up talking about the hollow Earth theory. And uh, I want to thank Dave from Kentucky too. Uh, he sent me a, an old time radio show which dealt with the hollow Earth. You know, because we're you know talking a little bit about the flat Earth theory, and uh, people are like, no, we like hollow Earth better. Yeah, everyone's, everyone really seems to like that one a bit better as a theory. As theories go, hollow earth as opposed to flat earth. Yeah. Yeah. And also, though he was not on the extra man, Bob, from Morning Commute with Bob, and from Static Radio, uh, emailed me and also Manny the Mailman, um, saying that he was up for an award that was going to be presented in New York City called the Coolio Award. I think it was for the best new the, the coolest new idea so I, he's like would one of you guys want to go and accept the uh, the prize since I can't go so I mean I was thinking about it but I, it just didn't really work out I didn't have time to do it this was on Monday I, I don't know if he won the award though I have to look it up but apparently there's a it's a podcast I don't know if it's just called the Coolio podcast or whatever but it's about things that are cool and he said he, he somehow he sent them something, and then they, then they have their own award show. You know, anyone can have an award show. Awards are just, right? You're like, I'm going to give out awards, and then you just give out awards. It's like, it's, that's what all awards are. It's just a group of people that decided to give each other awards. And yet people think awards are so important, so valuable, so this, so that. I, mean, I understand it can help you like if you're in the movies if you all oh, you won the the Oscar okay well then you're going to get more money I get that but it doesn't make it legitimate anyone can just give anyone an award have I ever done the overnight skip awards I have not I have not I don't want to it's, it's, it seems kind of jerky you know But anyway, I'll have to check and see if he won. And uh, feel bad I couldn't make it. But anyway, the Coolio Awards. 
all these hellish sounds. Ooh, Maserati. Here, of course, is the Hippodrome. On this site, is that they actually uh, they actually have a picture of the original Hippodrome behind the uh, the reception desk there. Yeah, this was a big theater that actually had horses di- diving off of platforms. Hippo means horse, and I don't know Greek, Latin, one of those languages. Hippopotamus is like a water horse, right? That's where hippo, hippo, hippo is a horse. So are, hi- the, are hippies like horse horse riders? No, they're like just groovy, uh, groovy teens on the teen scene in the '60s, take, taking drugs and wearing flowers in their hair, or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, hippodrome. Yeah. Awards, indeed. Remember, I was nominated for the podcast awards, but I lost. It's so annoying. I should have won. Okay. But if you want to engage with this, the world, the mainstream world of people and companies and awards, you have to act a certain way. Or perhaps you have to be a certain way. I'm not that way, really. No. Right, heading out for the day. On the elevator, I just saw a news story that uh, in the U.S. Senate, they've introduced legislation for permanent daylight saving time. Uh, I I could swear they tried to introduce legislation on this a year or two ago. Because who, everyone is for it. Just stay on daylight saving time, right? It just means that in the winter, it'll be a bit darker in the morning but it'll stay light later as well. Uh, everyone's, everyone's tired of daylight saving time, or as I used to call it, daylight savings time, but that's, that's incorrect, even though that sounds better to me. Sort of like Sherbert versus Sherbet. But anyway, it's a Sherbet. It's a Sherbet that uh, people want to stop changing the clocks. Listen, can you imagine a political issue and these days of, of such division that everyone can agree on? Just stop it! Permanent daylight saving time. Oh my god, look at the sunset sky over Jersey. That's pretty cool. should probably take a picture of that. I don't think it'll come out very well. But Just to have some record of what I saw. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll have that. A distraction from all of the divisive issues. Just get it done, please. And we're changing the clocks. I'm here at Bryant Park again. Huh, there's like a whole section empty over here, uh, closed over here. I'm gonna find a place to sit down. Discuss a few matters here. Oh, just a quick note. Um, the Mandalorian, the Star Wars TV series is back. And, uh, I mean, I always really... Th- I thought that series was really bad. And the first episode of the third season, horrible. Horrible. 
you know, that Andor series was fantastic. So you know they're capable of making good Star Wars, but Mandalorian is just not for me. The whole Baby Yoda thing never ends with Baby Yoda. Grogu, as he's known. Oh, cool. There's little uh, ice bumper cars over there. I've seen those before. Can I go over here? I don't know. As the Zamboni is clearing the ice on the main part. It's got to be a good, vague childhood memory in the 2040s or 2050s. Remember in the 2020s we used to go and go in those bumper cars on the ice? Yes, I think about all the, the children forming their vague adult memory. Vague, ad- when they're adults, all the vague memories of childhood they're forming right now. Ooh, the cozy igloos. It's like a little geodesic dome you can hang out in. I, I, as I recall, it's horribly expensive to sit in a geodesic dome. Was it like $400 or something? That's a few years ago I checked, though, so I don't know. Winter Village, there's still a few stores open. This place is called the North Pole. Selling Christmas decorations. It's the last thing I want to think about. I just just went through that whole Christmas decoration, putting up the tree, taking down the tree, all that crap. Now I want a nice long year, nice long uh, many months not have to worry about that Christmas stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Ah, here we are. The carousel area. No one's on the carousel and no one's sitting next to it, so I will sit over here. There's one person over there, but anyway. See what we got over here. Pretty psychedelic uh, music, right? From the carousel. song is that? It seems like I should know that song. I don't know. Anyway, today's episode is called Penhorn Lanes. This was a tough one. I took some pictures uh, this morning. Uh, on the way in it with all the fog and stuff and uh, you know o- over there by the meadowlands you know which is a big swamp but they're, they're known as meadows lovely meadows um the heck do, do, where, where's my uh oh there it is okay there it is is that yes um so I love that looks so cool I can't believe I just took that picture this morning I, I made it with a process <coughs> to make it like orange and purple, and <coughs> right? This, it is more oranges and purples, but it's yeah, it's just that spot where it's right by the turnpike where where the bus turns into the bus lanes. Wow, that looks cool. Uh, and there's a there's a a waterway actually right. It's you can't see it, but it is actually in that somewhere where we're looking here in this image called Penhorn Creek and I had I did an episode a number of years ago called uh, Penhorn Stargazing related to that 
Penhorn Creek. So I figured I would bring back the Penhorn name. And uh, the the feature of this is is a ro- two lanes going in a curve to the left, and then there's a sign to to merge. Like the to, the lanes need to merge, which kind of reminded me of the theories of multiple timelines merging into one another, creating all this havoc of. Uh, past editing paranoias and, and Mandela effects, that whole thing. So that kind of resonated. So, um, Penhorn Lanes, it's referring to those road lanes, but it also sounds like it would be a cool uh, bowling alley in some other dimension, Penhorn Lanes. Or it could, uh, you wouldn't think twice if there was a bowling alley called Penhorn Lanes. Maybe it's on Penhorn Road. I don't know. Penhorn also feels like, uh, I may have mentioned this last time, you know, like, the, it feels like uh, a pen and a horn are both these sort of long, long, sharp objects, in a way. It's a bit, a bit of a stretch. <coughs> um, yeah, so, I, uh, you know, put a circle around it, then I stretched it a bit to give it that sort of ovoid or egg shape, and uh, the fonts, um, it's Banjo Man and Golden Type. <laughs> These are not very used fonts. Somehow, I think it was because um, I was uh, tuning into uh, the Jules Works Follies, right? You know the Jules Jules Works Follies. It's a uh, it's a live broadcast. I guess at the end of each month, uh, Stephen Jules Rubin, uh, who is who has collaborated with PQ River on a bunch of stuff. And PQ sends ta- tapes in, so he plays tapes from of you know videos from all different, all different artists and musicians and people and stuff, including the Sorcerers and Chad even made some videos with his Titfos Productions and <coughs> so I I tuned in for like the last hour of it, and I think there was something with a banjo. It may have been something else, but somewhere I someone mentioned a banjo and I, I think it was that and it, I just remembered this uh, ultra obscure font called Banjo Man just one word Banjo Man so that's a font I used on top there and um, the other one came about in a bit of a a, a bit of a uh, disturbing side I, I was trying to remember there was someone there was a story about this very well-respected person who later, I think long after the person had died, they found out that this person was doing all sorts of sex abuse with his daughters, his family pets and stuff. And um, I'm like, I just sort of, I don't know what made me remember that. I'm like, who was that person? And it took me a while to remember. It was Eric Gill. Eric Gill, an artist... Sculptor and type designer who who designed Gil Sands among other fonts, still used extensively today. But in later life, they found out he had these these horrible pro- proclivities. So I was researching it. I, I I remembered the story, but not who it was. But yeah, it's horrible. But anyway, um, he had worked on I don't know some of these fonts like Golden Cockerel and Golden Type. I don't know if he, I don't think he, I don't know if he did Golden Type, but it was related to fonts he was doing. So I really like I really like Golden Type. I think it was for these private press, like William Morris. Anyway, so that's where the fonts come from. But I do like that image, Penhorn Lanes, and it, again, it has lots of different sort of 
meaning sort of la- layered, layered meaning in there. Penhorn. Yeah, I like the way those fonts look. It just looks good. I mean, I was like, I can't believe I got it at that point. <laughs> Everything I was trying looked horrible. And somehow, in the end, I just sort of got this uh, egg shape, and it just looks great. It's, you know, sort of like that. It looks like the psychedelic posterization they used to do a lot in the 60s. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. With that, I'd like to say thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. We're here in The Overnightscape Underground, a radio station inside a book. And as I mentioned, I've been uh, really working on the cover. I think I've hit upon the right direction for the graphically for the cover of the book which is sort of our brand a sort of our uh, visual identity um, so just go to onsug.com that's o-n-s-u-g.com that's short for overnightscape underground and uh, yeah check out all the latest shows I started working on the archive for February looks like another big one I don't know if it's going to be quite the same uh, 111 hour uh, bursting all records of time, but uh, it's a lot. A lot of great stuff last month. Yeah, just go to onsug.com. You can, uh, you, if you see a picture of the book on the on the sidebar there, you can click on it, buy a copy of the book, the current book, which was from 2021. Print on demand, still available if you want to get your copy. Uh, you can download a PDF of the book as it was back then, or an updated PDF. I update each month with all the shows. So basically, you have a PDF file that has every bit of every title every bit of show notes every it's a a massive reference work it's like was it 3500 pages now um so basically if you are into the overnight escape underground and you want to find something just search for a phrase and you can find it in that pdf of course i still do have a few episodes in the past maybe more than a few that i didn't write show notes for what did i say a show notes coming are they coming I know Shambles actually uh, volunteered to uh, note up a few of my shows. That was that was very nice of him. But uh, eventually we'll get all those noted up. Listen, there's a, there's a thing known as AI coming that can do all those sorts of things, like listen to the show and write show notes. Yes. Maybe sooner than we think. Anyways, uh, check it out. The new book is coming out this year, hopefully this summer. The new edition. And I'm very excited about that as well. We have over 13,000 hours of material in the archive, and you just go to the Internet Archive there. Right now, the archive is known as Onsug Radio, and you can listen to any of over 10,000 episodes, totaling over 13,000 hours here with dozens and dozens of different hosts, our incredible archive. And now that you know about it, we are your radio pals, and we'll always be here for you. It's a lifetime of listening pleasure. Aren't you glad that you have stumbled upon us here And if this is your thing, listen, I know from experience there's people that dig this kind of audio, and there's some people that uh, this probably wouldn't be their thing. This wouldn't be the type of entertainment for them. But there's some people out there that like it. And to all of you that like it, thank you. There's a lot more where this came from. Yes. We also have a show that comes out each week called Overnight Escape Central. We're in the middle of an exciting series about the Beatles. We're we're currently doing uh, the, all the Beatles' main albums in sequence, and I, yesterday I just recorded my segment for Rubber Soul. 
and that was very cool. <coughs> and uh, of course, uh, coming up next is a revolver. Yes, <coughs> and uh, please participate. If you have anything at all to say about the Beatles, positive, negative, or anything else, we'd love to hear from you on the central. Don't worry that you didn't get in at the start. You can just jump in and, and talk about your Beatles fandom and all the aspects of your Beatles ideas and you think Paul is dead and all these other ideas, you know? What a shame Mary Jane had a pain at the party. Like, you can say, is that a good song? We're not going to get to that until Anthology or... Oh, I think White Album uh, Super Deluxe Edition has some uh, What's the New Mary Janes in there. She wants to get married with Yeti. She cooking such groovy spaghetti. <laughs> See, I think John Lennon was kind of out of ideas. He made this song about Mary Jane. Jay, marijuana. Let's see. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh, LSD. What is this guy? This guy's on drugs, okay? John Lennon's on drugs. Anyways, I love the Beatles. If you do too, or even if you hate them, we'd love to hear from you. Check out Overnight Escape Central. <coughs> You are invited to participate. Check out the latest episode to get all the information you need. Yes. Uh, this carousel here, like how many vague childhood memories have been made here over the years? Maybe some of these people are adults now, too, that have vague memories of riding on this carousel. I have a lot of vague childhood memories. All sorts of things. What is this song? Dun, 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 dun. It's the song about going to the audio universe you love. It's a selection of songs and music. This is not working out! This song is going nowhere. But if you want to go somewhere fast, all you got to do is wait a few seconds. And you're going to pass the threshold into the greatest conglomeration of audio uh, mush. And... Melange. Here it is, the other side. Mates, 
sign on to sail for adventure aboard the Hispaniola with Long John Silver, young Jim Hawkins, and the wildest pirate crew that ever plundered the Spanish main. Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, the greatest adventure you'll ever have. Set sail for Treasure Island in this brand new all-action color adventure that only happens once in a lifetime. Saturday and Sunday matinee only at a theater near you. America's manpower begins with boy power. How do you build boy power? You build boy power with action, with spunk and endurance. In all these ways and hundreds more, scouting builds boy power. America's manpower begins with boy power. Join the Boy Scouts of America. It's on now. Bert Wyman Ford announces a mammoth Maverick move out. Out they go, all brand new 1971s, discounted, really discounted. And look, new 1970 Maverick below dealer's cost. Did I say discounts on new 71 Mavericks? Does this prove it? Now at Burt Wyman Ford, brand new 71 Mavericks, choice of colors, immediate delivery, only 1988 full delivered discount price. Burt Wyman, your TV Ford man, pulls out all stops during March Madness to give you a discount deal today you thought was six months away. And all brand new 1971 Fords will go at next September's staggering low discount prices. Yes, indeed, Burt Wyman is Ford country. And from a whole building of station wagons, choose this fully equipped, fully powered Ford country sedan wagon. A factory air-conditioned 69, now an unbelievably low 1988 full delivered price. Truly a sensational value. March Madness sweeps through three buildings jammed with over 250 new 71 winterized trades. And this 67 T-Bird Landau two-door hardtop at just $14.88 certainly is a terrific value. Vinyl roof, bucket seats, console, fully powered, including automatic. Terrific T-Bird, $14.88 full delivered price. Bert Wyman, your Ford TV man, takes special pride in delivering these fine new 71 trades originally bought and serviced here. Where but at Burt Wyman Ford, a sharp 65 T-Bird Landau like this, for only 9.88 full delivered price, fully powered, including power windows and power bucket seats, console and factory air conditioned, priced to save you hundreds of dollars, 9.88 full delivered price, but only at Burt Wyman Ford. New car, used car, any car. See more, save more at Burt Wyman Ford Country. Shop indoors night, Lidl 10, open Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. till 8 p.m., 3535 North on Ashland Avenue. This is a story of love. Love that surpasses the sensual. A love that transfigured all whom it touched. This is the story of a young man who has known ecstasy. He has laughed, lifted his voice in song pleasured away the night, and he has carried the colors of a very beautiful lady into gallant battle. Family Classics with host Frazier Thomas presents the moving and inspirational story of St. Francis of Assisi tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock in color on WGN Television Channel 9. Hi, I'm Brian Kelly, and I'm here at Carl Key Park where there is even more excitement than usual. 
Flipper, our happy-go-lucky dolphin, seems to have more tricks than ever. But Flipper isn't all fun, as my sons Bud and Sandy can tell you. Yeah, this looks like it could be from an airplane, all right. You mean from a spy plane? Flipper, you show us the way. Flipper has a sixth sense which warns dolphins of danger. Somehow his instinct leads him to find a crashed plane with life inside or to know when a tidal wave is coming. And sometimes he finds himself in trouble and he refuses to leave the boys in a dangerous situation. So be sure to join Flipper for all kinds of thrill-packed adventures. Follow Flipper and his friends to exciting fun and adventure Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday afternoons at 4 o'clock in color on WGN Television Channel 9.
Innovative and unique are overused. Slapped on so many cookie cutter imitations that the words have lost their meaning. So if you have become numb to all the plain vanilla vehicles that call themselves innovative and unique, get ready. Get ready for that oh wow emotional rush you used to feel when you saw something that really was different. Because from now on, the letters RV will take on a whole new meaning. Presenting the Vixen, the revolutionary vehicle from the Vixen Motor Company, the Vixen 21 Motor, and the Vixen XC Grand Touring Vehicle. Designed and built in America in Pontiac, Michigan by a team of automotive engineers, the Vixen proves you don't have to be big to be good. It's a look at the future of travel. A sleek, head-turning, aerodynamic shape that goes through the wind like a knife through water. A powerful, efficient BMW turbo diesel engine and brand-new California-approved gas engine. Fuel economy better than most cars. An unheard-of level of handling, performance, and fatigue-free driving ease. And yet... It fits easily into a standard garage, ready to go anywhere at a moment's notice. The Vixen 21. No other motorhome offers you all this innovation. And we're not the only people who think so. The Vixen is an all-new vehicle, quite unlike anything on the market. Far from being a rehash of an older existing design, every aspect of the Vixen was planned fresh from the ground up. Motorhome Magazine. All motorhomes are not created equal. This is the first abode on wheels that has well and truly aroused our interest. Car and Driver Magazine. Calling the Vixen a motorhome is like calling a sleep cabin cruiser a houseboat. Deserves to be called the BMW of motorhomes. Roundell, the BMW Car Club of America Magazine. Yes, Virginia, there is an RV with style. Meet the Vixen. Metropolitan Home Magazine. The first thing that strikes you about the Vixen is its striking shape. It was designed and developed in the University of Michigan's wind tunnel, giving the Vixen less wind resistance than a Chevy Camaro and a Ford Taurus. The results are crowd-stopping looks, incredible fuel economy, and a church-quiet interior that prompted car and driver to say, At a steady 70 miles an hour, the Vixen's wind noise was a soft rustle. In fact, the Vixen's design is so innovative, it was cited for excellence by the Industrial Design Society of America. The first time a vehicle other than a car has ever won this Oscar of its industry. 
There are a lot of fancy 50 cent words to describe what makes the Vixen handle, drive, and perform the way it does, like the self-adjusting air shocks that automatically set the Vixen's suspension and ride to suit the road and the load. But if you're wondering what all this technology means to you, just listen to how Motorhome Magazine described the Vixen's handling. A driving feel unavailable from any other Class A. The Vixen handles like no other motorhome we've driven. To which car and driver added, This is the first driver's motorhome, with cornering and braking far out of reach of any other motorhome we know of. Bobbing and weaving through traffic, the Vixen handled more like a Porsche than a Peterbilt. The Vixen's fatigue-free driving and handling mean that here at last is a vehicle that can be driven easily by both first-time motorhome drivers and experienced travelers, whether they're men or women. In a world where the typical motorhome uses more fuel than a small country, the Vixen is again a remarkable achievement. Its sophisticated BMW turbo diesel engine and five-speed manual transmission deliver exceptional power and performance, plus an unheard of 30 miles per gallon fuel economy, all of which adds up to a cruising range of over 700 miles on a single 23-gallon tank of fuel. And the Vixen is now also available in California with a new state-approved gas engine. But for all its excellent driving and performance features, the Vixen still knows how to make you feel right at home. From its rich burble weave carpeting, to the high-styled custom mini-blinds, to the sleek molded ABS walls that are easy to clean and maintain, the Vixen exudes a sense of class and comfort. The Vixen 21 Motorhome features an innovative, pneumatically controlled, cathedral ceiling style tilt roof that gives you a maximum 6 feet 6 inches of headroom. A permanent double bed in the rear and convertible bed in the dinette seating area allow the Vixen 21 to sleep four people comfortably. There's a nautical style bath and shower, apple closet and clothes storage, a compact refrigerator-freezer, even a microwave oven, in addition to space for a conventional range top of your choice. And here's what Motorhome Magazine said about life in the Vixen. After a week on the road, we were pleasantly surprised with the degree of comfort it delivered, despite its relatively compact size. The Vixen XC Grand Touring model is as adaptable as it is functional. It's the perfect motorhome for people who don't desire cooking facilities, but who still want to travel in style and sleep up to four. The Vixen XC is also the last word in executive and business transport and limousine service, providing exceptional luxury and features while seating up to eight people comfortably. Standard features include a 100-watt stereo system with nine speakers, a bathroom, and an icebox. And you can choose to add auxiliary air conditioning, refrigerator, a wet bar and sink, and a complete entertainment center with a TV, video cassette player, and compact disc player. Plus, Vixen's exclusive Selectophonic headphone system allows three different people to listen to three different program sources at the same time without disturbing each other. But perhaps the most innovative and unique feature of the Vixen is the one you'll enjoy when you're not out on the road in it.
Because unlike motorhomes that have to be stored or parked away from your home, the Vixen fits easily into a standard garage. Ready and waiting for you right at home when you're ready to go. The Vixen. The revolutionary vehicles. Drive one for yourself and get a look at the future of travel. Yes, Virginia, there is an RV with style. Meet the Vixen.
live to Andy Carvalis in Orlando, Florida for this report from the Namco Cybertainment's Coney Island Arcade. Hi, we're at the Namco Arcade at Universal Studios, Florida, where all the true gamers hang out. So, who do you think is going to win tonight? Mortal Kombat 2, yeah! What's your name and where are you from? Colin Jeffrey from Oakville, Ontario. Great. Hey, what's your favorite game? NBA Jam! What's your name? Brian Spence from West Palm Beach, Florida. You're a Floridian then. All right. Cool. What's your favorite video game? Florida Combat. What's your name? Lesro. And where are you from? Miami. All right, great. Who do you think is going to win tonight? Me! You think you're going to win? What video game do you think is going to win? Maybe Mortal Kombat? Yeah. Where are you from? Here! You're from Florida. Yes. What's your name? Mark! We've got some late breaking news. Okay, this chip is so new, it's being released before the game comes out. The game is on the shelf next week, and it's called The Ren and Stimpy Show. Time Warp for Super Nintendo. In the fourth episode, Monkey See, Monkey Don't, Use the rubber suction cups to climb up and over the monkey cages to avoid hazardous dangers and to get to the next level. Now back to you, Leslie, at Cybermania Central in L.A. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. You know, cyberspace has given us a whole new breed of pirate. There's a growing number of dedicated, highly skilled individuals who burrow through the cyber underworld to seek out information and access highly sensitive material. Now, these people don't take no for an answer, and it's not the FBI, and it's not the CIA. We're talking about hackers. We're being perceived as, as second only to mobsters, and, um, a lot of us are, are being forced to think like criminals, to always cover our trails no matter what we do, to always be looking over our shoulders, to, to notice every policeman, every, every black car. It's not a nice way to live, and I don't think uh, teenage kids should be living like this. Turn on plug in, drop out. There's so much bad press about hackers. Uh, you know, hackers are moving satellites around. Hackers are going to start World War III. Are you angry? I don't think we'll ever be fully embraced by society. We may, elements may be made trendy, but we'll never be fully accepted because we're driven by things that generally society doesn't understand. Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison were hackers. They hack electricity, they hack the telegraph. Hackers don't necessarily need to hack telephone lines and computers. The hackers don't go around breaking into people's personal computers. They go around breaking into huge corporate mainframes. They do it mostly to get access to learn about systems, to rummage about and see what's, you know, how they're running their particular services. Lots of times there's sensitive information in those systems. But it's not sensitive information being kept by individuals, it's sensitive information being kept about individuals. It's a big difference. We'd like to know who is keeping files on who. 
and a lot of these computers are talking to each other. Uh, credit computers talk to phone company computers, and uh, there's master databases being made up. I'd like to know what's out there. The mark of a good hacker is that no one knows he was in there. You get in, you get out, and no one ever knows you've been there. You don't, you don't disturb anything, you don't destroy anything. It's the destructive types that have come up with a really bad hacker image. You only hear about them when they're getting arrested, when they're getting, you know, hauled off to jail for doing something horrible, which in the end turns out to be impossible in the first place. We, we saw that in 1985, where they accused some of our, our bulletin board operators of moving satellites with their computer bulletin board systems. Now, obviously, that was impossible. You couldn't move a satellite with a, with a DBS. But they said it at the time and made all the headlines. And when they finally dropped those charges, nobody cared. Nobody was listening. There's no way we can stop people from doing bad things. But if they're going to do bad things, they, they stop becoming hackers and they start becoming criminals. The ones that, that, that uh, actually learn how the systems work and manage not to get busted. Those are the ones that are going to be controlling the, the computer industry in three right. years. The way people see these these kids as threats, and I see them as kids doing what kids have always done. And I see what's, what's really going on. I see these people that are wanted uh, by the federal government, and they're, they're just normal people. They're, they're, they're not criminals. They're people that, uh, that have normal values. They, they wouldn't hurt people. They wouldn't destroy things. They wouldn't steal things. Yet they're being treated like they're the worst gangsters in history. I don't want to see anybody I know get busted. I don't want to see them lose interest either. I want to see them pursue what makes them happy without necessarily having to make other people unhappy. The average hacker is into it for the fun. The average hacker is not into it to destroy things, not into it for personal gain. He's curious. What's the point? We're doing nothing wrong. 
is walking just too slow for us. Friends say, slow down, this track's gonna skip. So we hold back and keep it to a simple kiss. But your eyes draw me in your arms, I can't resist. I know my happiness is covered by this emptiness without you. Exactly what I have to do Just too slow for us Friends say slow down This track's gonna skip So we hold back And keep it to a simple kiss But your eyes draw me in your arms I can't resist you Keep on
you doing? This is Frank Edward Nora, Lord of Obliviana. And I want to welcome you to Bluff Cosm. Uh, right now I'm in the car and I'm driving over to 7-Eleven and I'm going to finish this introduction by the time I get there in about three minutes. Anyway, like I said, I wanted to welcome you to, to Bluff Cosm, um, which you can get to at bluffcosm.com. And uh, Bluff Cosm is a part of Obliviana, which you can get to at obliviana.com. And right now they're pretty much the same website, so... Uh, anyway, Bluff Cosm is really just getting started. Um, it's something that I began, I registered the uh, domain name and put it online on uh, November 19th, uh, last year, uh, 1999. Um, and, and, okay, 11-1999 is the last day uh, that has all odd numbers uh, in it until January 1st, 3111. So I didn't know that at the time, though. So it's just sort of a thing. And also 1119 is a big thing in Obliviana with 209 and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Bluff Cosm is all about um, computerized sound and uh, audio content, uh, stuff like that. And um, I have a lot of stuff that I've done in various different ways that I'm pretty excited about. And I have a lot of ideas about what I'm going to be doing now. So here on this website, live365.com, it looks like uh, I'm going to be able to put some stuff on here that will be kind of like a streaming radio kind of thing, something like that. Anyway, um, what I'm going to be putting on here is some stuff I did way back maybe eight years ago, early 90s. I, I, that, I don't remember the exact dates right now, but maybe in the shows that follow you'll hear that. Uh, these shows are called Train Crap and Blood, and I uh, did it with my friend Peter Litke, and uh, additionally, my brother John and uh, friend uh, Dave Copperman. Um, so, I am pulling into, almost pulling into the 7-Eleven right now. So, remember, bluffcosm.com, and uh, check out this stuff. It should be pretty cool. And remember, this is just the very beginning. This is Bluff Cosm Alpha, so to speak. And now I'm pulling into the parking space at 7-Eleven right now. And this guy's looking at me. It's kind of weird. Anyway, I don't know. 8.34 on the 7-Eleven clock p.m. All right. Have fun listening to Train Crap and Blood. And I'll see you at bluffcosm.com.